The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Three Hour Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're delving into the latest CFL CBA talks. Charleston Hughes making what seemed like an unlikely return to Saskatchewan. Canadian quarterback Trey Ford committing to play for Edmonton this season. And quick hits around the league on the latest news. But first... Time is ticking down to the deadline for a new collective bargaining agreement to be finalized between the CFL and Players Association. The current CBA ends Saturday, May 14th at midnight. And without a new one, there would be a delay in training camps opening on Sunday. Can the two sides beat the clock? I think they will. And at the end of the day, there have been some, you know, I suppose, minor positive uh, developments, for instance, you know, the PA did instruct players not to necessarily travel for training camps. As I understand it, many players were already in their CFL cities, but the teams have at least committed to housing and feeding players, provided that a legal strike is taking place. So it's not like players are going to be, you know, completely without anywhere to go in the event that we do reach the start of training camp without a deal. At the end of the day, The best way to get a deal done is necessity. And we are reaching the 11th hour. I always suspected it was going to come down to the 11th hour. I know Randy Ambrosi likes to speak with that flowery language about how positive and energized and excited everybody is about CBA negotiations and everything is positive and hunky dory and we're all holding hands singing kumbaya. But at the end of the day, when you talk money, it's always going to get contentious. The the league, right? The teams feel like they've made a sacrifice over the last couple of years with this pandemic. The players feel like they've made a sacrifice. The good news is neither t- neither side can afford a delay to the start of the season. So I think we'll get it done. We're just further away at this point than I think fans were hoping for. We certainly are. And, and I do think we'll get this done. Like we've said before on this podcast, that deadline is not necessarily a bad thing. Both sides want to push it sometimes, so they get that pressure. What I worry about is is some of the damage that this negotiations might have caused, because I do think that there is some genuine progress and direction towards a partnership prior to this between the players in the league. There was some new transparency. There was some hope on that front. But it seems like the league has taken a fairly hard line approach here with the players um, really try to gut some things out in this new CBA and whether they genuinely want those things or not, whether it's a negotiation tactic to try and meet somewhere in the middle. I don't think it matters because any goodwill that they've managed to slowly claw back over the last little while is completely gone. And I just don't think that for the long term. It's a good negotiating tactic. The fact that the two sides were able to agree on amendments to the CBA to get on the field after the 2020 CFL season was canceled 
should be a positive, but we know that deals never come until deadlines happen, especially in the CFL. And overall, it really shows to me how the CFL feels about its players when they put an offer on a table that includes a 10-year flat salary cap. No way for it to go up over 10 years. And here's Randy Ambrosi out here talking again about wanting to be partners with the players when in actuality behind the scenes what's going on is what's gone on for years in the CFL. The league bullying the players into taking a deal that is not fair for them. Now, this time around, I think it's actually different. We have not seen, at least in my time covering the CFL, the PA come out and direct veteran quarterbacks not to go to rookie camps, for example, or direct players not to go to training camps. Now, players can do that on their own, as Hodge alluded to earlier. There are a bunch of players that are in town already at camp, but the key aspect for me, though, is the veteran QBs not being on the field at rookie minicamps. Usually they would be there getting reps in, just getting a feel for being back on the CFL field and in the pro atmosphere once again. And you have Solomon Elamimian leading the PA as the president, who's a guy that was a hard-nosed player as a linebacker. Obviously, we know what he's done on the field, and he's going to do the same at the negotiating table to get the best for the players along with the other executive. And I think because the executive is made up of a mix of American and Canadians, that it could potentially be a better deal. And from my perspective, I understand that the league wants to put out things like a flat cap for 10 years as a starting point in negotiations to meet somewhere in the middle. But when you're talking about getting rid of the entire ratio and you want to meet in the middle on that, that means that even though the league put out a statement, they're really not holding up to their words because that could potentially mean a loss of a good amount of Canadian jobs, even if they meet somewhere there in the middle. So I think the PA at this point in time, needs to push it. What does it matter, especially if you're a veteran player, that you miss a few days of training camp? Yes, people on the outside and the fans might not like it, but if I'm the players, I'm sitting there saying, hey, we're going to be willing to push it to limit, miss some training camp time in order to get a better deal for all of us. Well, and and training camp sucks if you're a player, so there's also that to factor in. And I'll also say this, I mean, again, the league can say what it wants, but at the end of the day, if you as a professional are in a situation where your employer genuinely cares about you as a person, then you are in a position of privilege because by and large, employers around the world uh, and professional sports are no different, would be perfectly happy paying you in, in, in peanuts or, or paying you in, in Domino's coupons or Walmart bucks. Uh, they generally are only concerned about their bottom line, and the people who run the CFL are no different, right? The, ask ask Jonathan Hefney how much these teams actually care about these players. So, uh, yeah, I know Randy Ambrosi has said repeatedly, and other league officials have said how much they care about the players. Well, the proof is in the pudding, and and the the offer that was made from the league to the players was a joke. Yes, it is a negotiation, but at the end of the day, I, I, if I'm a player, I have absolutely no reason to believe why anybody affiliated with the league would care about me as a person. At the end of the day, every player is replaceable. 
coaching staffs and scouts make their living trying to replace veteran players who cost them extra money. So I fully understand from the player side of things why they're approaching this with a heavy level of skepticism because, frankly, it's the right thing to do. To me, there's a difference between that low ball offer, which I think everyone expects it to be a low ball first offer, and an insult. And to me, this was insulting what was put forward after all this talk and all this kumbaya to say that 10 years without a raise in the salary cap, after you've talked all off season about what legal gambling is going to do to CFL revenues and what genius sports, what this partnership can potentially do to say that all these wonderful things are on the horizon financially for the CFL and then say, but you know, we're not going to raise the salary cap. You're not going to see any of that money for 10 years. It's an absolutely ridiculous opening offer before you even get into the ratio stuff, which is entirely problematic in its own way in another regard, right? I just don't understand the logic behind it to go that hard line that quickly from the league's perspective, and they've completely misevaluated, in my mind, where the players are standing right now, because we can talk about the hardships they've faced over the pandemic, and all that is true. But what they've realized over that time is, hey, I don't need to make $70,000 Canadian to play football and smash my brain in. I don't. There are other jobs. I had to get one last year when we weren't playing football. I know that there are other opportunities. I'm doing this because I enjoy it, because I like it, because I love it. Okay. And so the league thought they were weak because they missed out on all those paychecks, but it's really made them stronger because they've realized there's a whole world out there. And I don't think the union has ever been in a better position from top to bottom in terms of people being galvanized and being willing to go on a work stoppage because they realize this isn't the only option in their life. The critical aspect of where the negotiations are at right now, and that was all very well said, JC, and I agree with all of it, is the fact that you offered them a 10-year deal with no potential for the salary cap to go up, which means less money in the players' pockets if the league brings in new revenue like they're hoping to with Genius Sports and heaven forbid the global program actually brings in some revenue to disperse to the players. Maybe there's a new contract signed in there with TSN or otherwise. I know some people, fans specifically, would like to see it split up. But the fact that that lowball offer was presented to begin with is going to be very difficult for the league to come back from. Yes, it's a negotiation, but you got to start somewhere that's fair, especially if you're preaching about making the players partner. So how are you going to come back to the table and present a new offer to the players, which the league did on Wednesday morning at a downtown hotel in Toronto, or I should say an airport hotel in Toronto, and actually come back from that? Because there was a lot of hostility and frustration. You saw it on social media. A lot of big-name players changed their Twitter profile pictures to the CFLPA logo and tweeted out the CFLPA logo. We saw the NHLPA tweet out a note standing in solidarity with the CFL PA. So I think exactly what JC said, the fact that these players went through 2020 where they didn't have a CFL season and they still survived, somehow they figured it out, 
means that they're stronger than ever and that the CFL needs to come back to the bargaining bargaining table and actually show instead of talking about it, that they mean business in terms of a partnership with the players. That's going to be critical here if we're actually going to get a deal done by essentially Sunday. Yeah. And, and at the end, and we should, we should move on here, boys, but uh, you know, the, the other thing I'll say is I appreciate, yeah, I'll lowball off for all this and that, but at the end of the day, coming out of this pandemic, again, the messaging all off season and the narrative that, you know, what one could argue we've perpetuated on three down, but I think at the end of the day, it's, it's accurate to, to what the new cycle has been. It's, Oh, the players aren't good enough. The rules suck. We need to change this. We need to change that. We need to go to four downs. And now we're at another ugly labor battle. We, we just did this three years ago. We've had two seasons between then and now, like this needs to get done. It needs to get done very quickly because I've seen a ton of tweets and posts from CFL fans who are at their wits end being like, if it's not one thing with this league, it's, it's the next. And every step of the way is ugly. Every step of the way takes away from what's going on in the field. And frankly, that's hurting the CFL's brand. And I don't think there's any argument against that. There's always going to be something, and it should be noted that the MLB's recent labor negotiations got fairly contentious, and there was a thought that they could miss regular season games, but that's how far the players were willing to push it, and ultimately, a fair deal was agreed upon, one that the players felt like could actually... They, they could see be put together and that actually got papered and signed and they're on the field playing baseball, of course. So I understand from the fans perspective that they feel like this is damaging to the sport, but you have to have a fair deal. And I think there's probably some people out there that feel like three down or some of the reporting that we've done is tilted towards the players, but we're just telling it like it is. We have the memos up on the site and we're also looking at it from the CFL side, right? The owners have gone through a year where they missed in 2020, no revenue coming into their pockets. And yes, you could argue that some of them are multimillionaires and have millions of dollars in their bank accounts in their pockets, but that doesn't necessarily just mean they want to keep pumping it into the league. So we need to give some credit there that the league is still going after the pandemic, after a year away from the field. But it is time for the Board of Governors to finally treat the players fairly. Like we're talking about revenues and all the major North American sports being split in and around that 50% mark and the CFL and its players are well below that in past agreements. So that has to change. True partnership means equal. Like if you're in a relationship, it should be 50-50. So that's what the players are looking for or at least something close to it and the league coming a little bit over the line potentially to some of the things that the players want in terms of guaranteed money. That could be a key aspect. We're seeing it in the NFL all the time now. Guaranteed contracts for guys like Deshaun Watson, who has some issues, I guess, let's say, to deal with off the field, getting $230 million. Now, the money is never going to be that much in the CFL, but the fact that he got that much money guaranteed is the critical factor. You see the first-round picks getting fully guaranteed contracts in the NFL. Meanwhile, in the CFL, 
the contracts for first round picks have actually gone down and you get locked in. Part of the reason for that was because people didn't want to have negotiations like Josiah St. John a few years ago where he held out and it's happened with other players in the past. But still, they've taken players money out of their pockets in some regards and haven't guaranteed it. So some those are some of the fundamental issues. And of course, it always comes down to money. And to be frank, there needs to be more in the players' pockets, especially in the CFL, where the average salary, when you take out the quarterbacks, is under $100,000. Saskatchewan Rough Riders have re-signed veteran defensive end Charleston Hughes after the two sides could not come to an agreement on a contract for the 2021 CFL season. Does Saskatchewan have more sacks left in him? Uh, I think he does, but it's probably in single digits at this point. I was rather surprised by this return to Saskatchewan by Hughes. Obviously, he played in Toronto last season, played nine games. He only ended up with two sacks on the season, which is a career low for a guy that's getting pretty close to that top five all-time career mark in terms of career sacks. If he can play a full season, be healthy, he's probably not a full-time guy for you. Maybe can help as a rotational pass rusher. If he can get four sacks next year, he moves into that fifth spot over Joe Munford. I think that's probably the high-end ceiling of what we can expect from Charleston Hughes if everything goes well. There were a few teams, it should be noted, that were keeping tabs on Hughes and what his plans were going to be for the 2022 season in terms of playing. And ultimately, he goes back to the Riders. And it's surprising just because of the way that he left there. Essentially, a big disagreement with general manager Jeremy O'Day over the amount of a signing bonus that he wanted leads to him going to Toronto. And Hughes, to be frank, he was pissed off about the whole situation, went on this media rant, so to speak, talking about like essentially he didn't feel like he was treated fairly. Now that's totally his opinion. And then now they've patched things up to the point where Hughes is going to be back there. In a great cup year, it should be noted where they need pass rush help. He's familiar with Jason Shivers and his defensive scheme. Shivers, of course, a defensive coordinator there. So he should definitely help. And he was productive with the riders that dip in Toronto in production. Some people would say it's age and he's lost a step, but then other people will tell you, well, he wasn't necessarily used right. And Hughes himself admitted that he wasn't as committed to preparing for the 2021 season as he should have been through the pandemic. Now we all went through our own ups and downs in terms of dealing with the pandemic. And seems like for the most part, we're on the other side of it. So if Hughes is back in the right frame of mind, is training hard or has trained hard at least going into training camp. And I think he can still be productive and I'm sure he's eyeing moving in to top five on the all-time sack chart. To me, this move only makes sense because one would think at this point of the off season, the riders did not have to invest heavily in Charleston Hughes. I'm sure they got him on a sweetheart deal. And in fairness to the riders, Jeremy O'Day, you know, he, he was asked about Charleston Hughes a few months ago, you know, and about the fact that he did not have a very strong season in Toronto last year. And he was very complimentary. He said, you know, at the end of the day, we, we genuinely, we genuinely wanted Charleston back for 2021. We just couldn't agree on a price point. So I'm not surprised that the interest was there. I have talked to some people around the league 
who were surprised that this deal got done. But at the end of the day, the Riders lost Jonathan Woodard to the NFL. They've got AC Leonard, who is emerging as as one of the top three, if not maybe the top two pass rushers in the CFL on one side. And you mentioned, Dunk, the Grey Cup coming to Regina this year in November. If you're the Riders, I think you load up. Because the worst case scenario is Hughes doesn't have the goods anymore, in which case it's not like you gave him $50,000 in a signing bonus to get him there. At this point, you get him on the cheap. It's low risk and potentially high reward. Exactly. Yeah, you're not caught holding the bag when Father Time finally deals the ultimate blow to Charleston Hughes. Whether that's happened already or not, we can't say, uh, but we'll find out this year. And it should be noted that Woodard has been recently released by the Kansas City Chiefs, so he could potentially come back to Ryderville. We'll see what happens there. And the Riders were high on Pete Robertson, who they re-signed before free agency. But if Hughes is put in a role where it's limited reps per game and really just in those pass rush situations, then I think he's proven that despite his age, he could have at least the potential to still be productive. Canadian quarterback Trey Ford has committed to playing for Edmonton after attending the Baltimore Ravens rookie minicamp and declining a similar invitation from the New York Giants. Could Chris Jones have convinced him with a chance to start at quarterback as a rookie for the Elks? The timing of all this to me is very intriguing because we know how persuasive Jones can be. He got not only JT Barrett to sign a CFL contract, now Cardell Jones, after Barrett goes down with a season-ending injury and off-season training, I would like to look into the validity of that. But anyways, I want to focus on Ford because Ford declining the invitation to go to New York Giants rookie minicamp is somewhat surprising in the sense that you get that opportunity to get in front of NFL coaches and scouts doesn't come along too often. So I wonder if Jones has talked to Ford and said, look, it, we don't want you to get behind here in terms of learning the playbook because we think that if you perform well, you could have a shot to be the starter. That to me has to at least be part of this conversation. And we heard Chris Jones in the offseason talk about JT Barrett and say that if he came in, played the best out of any quarterback there, that he would have been the starter. And Barrett, yes, was an NCAA star, but been out of pro football for a little bit and would have been a CFL rookie, just like Ford. Ford, you could argue, more athletic, I would say, than Barrett by a long shot. And yes, he did play U sports, but let's throw that out of here, okay? Guys out of U sports have shown that they can be productive in the CFL regardless of position. So I'm very curious to see how many first-team reps potentially Ford earns and how quickly this goes because Jones, in a roundabout way, likes to be a guy that is unique and different. And what would be more unique and different right now than starting not just a Canadian quarterback, but a rookie Canadian quarterback who has generational-type athleticism? That says Chris Jones to me. I want to start this by saying that I think I'm really high on Trey Ford, and I think he could be a great player in this league. That said, I think somebody needs to check Justin Dunk's residence for whatever Kool-Aid this man has been drinking. I don't know if it's 
poison control. I don't know if it's the DEA. I don't know what we got to send. There is no way Trey Ford is going to be the starting quarterback of the Edmonton Elks. Come on. I think Trey Ford could be a great quarterback in this league, but he needs time to learn. He needs time to develop. He needs time to adjust to the professional level because this is not U sports. I have tremendous respect for the U sports game and that level of football, but the CFL and U sports are not close. There is a significant jump that needs to be made. If anything, to me, moving JT Barrett to the retired list means that Chris Jones is just going to have to take the avenue that he always should have, to be quite frank. Start Nick Arbuckle, have Taylor Cornelius back him up, and then you can use Trey Ford as your number three quarterback and potentially have him do some gadget things. Have him run the Wildcat, have him play some unique spots in some very unique formations. We know that quarterbacks are allowed to be on the on the field at the same time now. Two quarterbacks used to just be one. And at the end of the day, the Elks are going to win games based on Chris Jones' defense. All they need is a quarterback who can go out, manage the game, and protect the football. To me, that does not scream you sports rookie quarterback. To me, what that screams is a veteran like Nick Arbuckle who's been in a number of different systems and has generally done a good job of protecting the ball. I agree with you completely, Hodge. I don't necessarily think that there is a path to start right away for Trey, Trey Ford as much as it hurts my heart to say that. But I do think that there is a plan to get him on the field early in those sort of packaged looks. I mean, Chris Jones hasn't Ferg as much. They're already designing plays on how they can utilize Trey Ford's unique athleticism. And the way he's designed that locker room this offseason has made it very clear that at the least they want an athletic number three, if not an athletic starting quarterback. Now, from the Ford perspective, I think this is actually a pretty wise move move. We know how difficult it is to catch on as a rookie mini camp invite. Obviously, you want to take advantage of opportunities to get in front of NFL scouts, but if you have a chance to play right away in some capacity in Edmonton, you've got to be in that rookie mini camp so you're not wasting reps or losing reps when there's so many other candidates in that room as well. You look at guys like Khalil Tate, who we haven't even talked about, who was a big-time starter at Arizona. He's on that roster as well. And with the Elks, there's an added element in the fact that this is going to be the only team that has veteran quarterbacks in rookie minicamp. Because as we discussed earlier, the CFLPA is told every team in the league that the veteran quarterbacks aren't going to be there except Edmonton, because they're worried about retribution from Chris Jones and, and that team management if those quarterbacks don't show up. So there's opportunities for a guy to seize a job. That's why Taylor Cornelius and Nick Arbuckle are going to be there, and you cannot miss out on reps when it's an open opportunity like that. Trey Ford's going to be there too. All right, let's go over a couple things. Arbuckle does make sense as the prudent guy to start the season, but... This is the same guy we've talked about on the podcast. We heard it at the CFL Combine that the Elks have been trying to trade for the entire offseason. I don't care what Chris Jones has to say. He has nothing invested in Arbuckle. And people will say, well, yeah, I gave him a six-figure signing bonus to redo his contract. That was a jaw in the deal from former GM Brock Sunderland. All right. What has Chris Jones invested in Trey Ford? A first-round pick. In fact, the first quarterback to be picked in the first round of the CFL draft since when, Mr. Hodge? 1980. 
a long time, my man. That's over 40 freaking years. So I'm telling you, Jones likes this kind of stuff. Now, I'm obviously drinking the Kool-Aid and talking about him being a potential starter. But when you look at it, it's a new staff in there in Edmonton. Chris Jones and his boys. Yes, Arbuckle has been in that system in some form or fashion when he was in Toronto. But they're all starting from the ground floor here in terms of learning Stephen McAdoo's offense. And Hodge, you almost made my point for me earlier when you said Jones is going to win based on his defense. You just need a guy that can move the chains a little bit, have a high completion percentage on some throws that are schemed up for him and made easy. So I don't necessarily think that Ford out the gate is going to be the starter, but I think part of that conversation to get him there right away and learning the playbook was, hey, as you guys alluded to, we'll get you on the field early, and if you perform well, perhaps there's a chance for you to play more down the line. I also think it's a smart decision from Ford's perspective in terms of the NFL. Get in the pro game, show that you can potentially flourish in the CFL and do well with that athleticism. That will give the NFL scouts more tangible tape to evaluate. That was really the tricky part for the NFL scouts was evaluating Trey Ford's film from the University of Waterloo, like it or not. And I have respect for the U-Sports game, obviously played it, but it was very tricky for them to do so and put a finger on, all right, is this NCAA Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three? Is this JUCO? Like what level is he playing at and who does he have around him? I think it's easier to do with some of the positions in the trenches, but they're trying to evaluate his athleticism and how it translates on the field. So I think from Ford's perspective, it's smart to come to the CFL, try to pick the offense up, show you can be productive. And then if you play really well, and we've seen some quarterbacks that we might not have thought that would have gotten a look in the NFL. Like I believe Cornelius this past off season had a workout. I think it was with the Chicago bears. If that comes to mind. So even a guy like that who does not have the athleticism as Ford, the NFL is looking for now off a season that Edmonton had last year, got a workout with an NFL team. So Ford's productive. I think it's a prudent approach for him to get some CFL game tape to potentially get that shot in the NFL. One thing that that is key is that we do now have the re-implementation of the NFL window to consider because of course, back under the old CBA Right. If you signed a three year deal in the CFL, then you were there for three years. Trey Ford essentially has a three year contract with Edmondson, but with an out each year to try the NFL. He can't try the NFL and come back to a different CFL team if he's playing in the CFL. It's got to be as a member of the Edmondson Elks. But I do think that that is prudent and that probably changes. Right. If there's no NFL window, I think it's likely that Ford completely exhausts his NFL opportunities. Whereas now, given that he can essentially try it for the next three years, regardless uh, of anything else, I, I think it's maybe a little bit different because you're right. I, I don't think that NFL scouts have any idea what to do with U sports film. I think it confuses them and it's not. And, and if it's not their wheelhouse, they're not going to touch it. Why? Because there's 700 million quarterbacks who, who could potentially play in the NFL based on wherever they played at all the different levels that you mentioned dunk across the United States. On that note, it's time for Hodges heritage moment. On this day in 2018, quarterback Darian Durant announced his retirement from the CFL. 
The veteran had signed with the Blue Bombers in January to serve as the team's backup quarterback behind Matt Nichols, which forced Winnipeg to eat his $75,000 signing bonus. Durant finished his career with 31,740 passing yards, 164 touchdowns, and 115 interceptions over 174 games with Saskatchewan and Montreal, winning a Grey Cup on home soil in Regina in 2013. Boys, I would love to know your fondest memory of Darian Durant. It has to be for me, him signing with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and then retiring <laughs> and taking that 70K. So many people remember it, and it shouldn't be the way that he's remembered by a lot of people. It really should be that great cup on home soil, home soil in Regina, but taking that 70K and piecing out, man, I don't hate him for it. I'll tell you what, I, I don't have any fond riders of anyone who was a member of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I think that's against my own moral code to look fondly on them. But I do remember when he was a member of the Montreal Alouettes and he came back and he beat the riders in their his first game against them. So that's the fondest memory I have of Darian Durant. I think I think my best memory would have to be that game too, JC. Also, because if I remember correctly, he denied that game be meaning anything special to him. And then when the Alouettes kicked a game-winning <laughs> field goal, he acted like he'd simultaneously won the lottery, the Super Bowl, the World Series, and everything else in between. He didn't play very well that game either, but he sure wanted to win. I don't think Let's he played well it. a single game for the Alouettes. Let's be honest. <laughs> Real talk. That's what we give you on the Three Down Nation podcast. Three-minute drill. Let's get it going. The Rough Riders 2020 first-round CFL draft pick Saskatchewan offensive lineman Matt Lynn Riley has retired. How does that impact the green and white? I mean, I think we already saw the impact. They took an offensive lineman in the second round of this year's draft and the third round as they look to rebuild that unit. The Kansas City Chiefs have waived former Riders defensive end Jonathan Woodard. Should Saskatchewan try to get him back? They absolutely should, and eight other CFL teams should be trying their hardest to rip him away from Saskatchewan because he is a plug-and-play pass rusher of the type that we very rarely see nowadays. Canadian kicker Liram Haralahu has been waived by the Carolina Panthers. What comes next for him? Well, he's shown he's going to wait out NFL opportunities, but if he came back to the CFL, there would be at least a couple of teams that have been in the Grey Cup the last two times it was played that would be bidding for his services. The New York Jets have released former CFL offensive lineman Greg Van Roten. He's 32 and has earned over $10 million in the NFL. It seems to put a return to Canada out of the question, right? I really do, particularly given that he's really just a center guard. I don't see him coming back to the CFL, where almost nobody plays American players. Canadian tight end Ryson John has been waived by the New York Giants. The Calgary Stampeders hold his CFL rights by virtue of the 2020 draft. Do you think we could see him with the Stampeders this season? I think it's a strong possibility. He spent a lot of time on that practice roster injured list for the New York Giants. I think the outside NFL interest has probably wavered at this point. It'll be interesting to see if he does sign with the Stampeders, how he's able to transition back from that tight end body type that he spent so many years cultivating to that receiver mold that he was at Simon Fraser. Alouette's quarterback Vernon Adams Jr. has changed his number for the 2022 CFL season from number eight 
to number three. And the team is doing a free jersey swap for fans if you have his old jersey. Bon travail, Montreal. Oui, oui. Byron Archambault has replaced Jeff Reinbold as the Alouette special teams coordinator due to personal matters. Too bad Reinbold won't be in the CFL in 2022 unless something changes. He's quite the character. He is. Uh, we do not know the reason why he has stepped back, though we do know that Reinbold is a cancer survivor. We hope and wish him the best if he, this is health related. University de Montreal Carabin won the gold medal at the inaugural Canadian Collegiate Flag Football Championship, defeating UQAM in the final game. How sweet is that? It was pretty cool and a fantastic event by Football Canada, highlighting women's football in this country all weekend in Ottawa. And who knew it? The Carabin are good at football, no matter what gender. Nine U Sports quarterbacks have been selected for the CFL's training camp internship program. Which of them stands out to you, Dunk? Ooh, there's a couple guys I want to go with. So we'll say Evan Hillock from Western University and Jonathan Senecal from the University of Montreal. Both those guys are intriguing. Senecal needs to add to his frame. Hillock has a cannon for an arm. He's hit 80s and 90s on the radar gun as a baseball pitcher in his past. So couple dudes to keep an eye on at the U-Sports level playing quarterback. Late game heroics from McMaster University quarterback Andreas Duick pushed Team West to the victory in the 2022 U-Sports East-West Bowl in Hamilton. Can we get that game on TV though, please? That would be great. And I'm not going to move on before pointing out Andreas Duick, born in Winnipeg. Thank you very much. The Argos are hosting 2022 training camp and a preseason game on June 3rd versus the Ticats at the University of Guelph. Too bad Guelph has never had any good quarterbacks. Smart decision? You stole my joke there, Hodge, but I do think this is a brilliant decision. I love when CFL teams host preseason games in cities that are not their own. It's a great way uh, to to market to other areas to try and get new fans. Just a, an absolutely great move here by the Argos. The Argonauts have released American running back DJ Foster in order to allow him to pursue other opportunities. How much of a blow is that to the Argos offense? Ooh, it seems to me that the Argos had an idea this was coming. They signed Aaron Drew Harris, of course, in free agency, and then in the draft of the bus running back in the 2022 class and Daniel Adeboboye. So they were preparing for this, but Foster is a dynamic guy that has a rare skill set, so I certainly think it's going to hurt. The Edmonton Elks preseason game on June 3rd has been dubbed the Stand with Ukraine game, with all preseason proceeds going to refugee resettlement. Another stroke of genius from President Victor Quee, right? Absolutely. It's one thing to talk about action. It's another thing to take action. Full marks to Edmonton for this one. Last one, Mike McCullough, Weston Dressler, and Ken Miller have been named the Riders 2022 Plaza of Honor inductees. Isn't it fitting that they all go in together? It really is. Three Riders legends, but I wonder... Does does Weston Dressler get like a notch on his his Plaza Bomber plaque for every touchdown he scored against the Riders as a bomber? That does it for this episode of the Three Down Nation podcast. Join us again next week. We'll see if training camps have indeed kicked off. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.